Welcome to a very special presentation of the audio version of our live show podcast as part of the Leicester Comedy Festival in February. What you're going to hear is the the, the, the live recording that we had an incredible film crew come down and, and make for us and record. Um, with the exclusive video of this performance is only available on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Only the VIEPTs get access to the video and get to see us do the show for the very first time. But we have a very special presentation this week of the audio of the show you're going to be hearing uh, Rob Halden myself you're going to be hearing Will Preston your favorite also you're going to hear a live performance of the music from the uh, the man that created our theme song Mr Dan Walsh so this is Marvel versus Marvel the live podcast at the Attenborough Arts Centre with a very special thank you to Daniel Nicholas who put it all together <laughs> Live in Leicester and loving it! Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel, the live podcast. If you don't know, it's a podcast where a man who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or a TV show and then quizzes someone who is a veritable Marvel expert, someone who has been taught to read with Marvel comics. And for the very first time ever, we are doing this live at the Attenborough Arts Centre as part of the Leicester Comedy Festival. We are so excited to be here. My name is Rob Holden. I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I'm also the Marvel expert half of the equation. And I'm joined physically in person. I'm going to touch him by Mr. Will Preston, <laughs> to whom ignorance is bliss. A man that's never read a Marvel comic in his life. Hello, Will. Hello. Uh, ignorance is bliss, but second to only to touching your hands. Uh, absolute bliss. Uh, this is so bizarre. Isn't this so cool? Isn't this so cool? People, uh, so many people here have come out to see us. We're so, so excited. And people have driven all the way from Devon to be here. That's so cool. Isn't that awesome? Uh, for this live show. This episode is a special episode where we're going to be taking a look at the Disney Plus series, uh, What If? Um, in this episode, coming up, murder, mayhem, the history of the Marvel multiverse, the invasion of Earth by people you might not expect, several people you might not expect, and many, many worlds without hope, but you know, in a cool, upbeat, fun way. Uh, that's all coming up on this episode. Yes. I, sorry, you raise your. We're not used to this bit. Uh, you raise your hand, no, and I, I could see it because you're not on a screen. No, and I, I thought Will's got a point to make. No, I was raising my thumb, oh, saying a thumb, I, a I, thumb. I, I agree. For though. the first time in like two or three years, we're not facing each other. Yeah. And he's just he's a blur on my peripheral vision, <laughs> and if anything, it's distracting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that is the show. That is the episode. We 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 are condensing what we normally do, and we're we're going to have an incredible time as we explore the Disney Plus What If episode. Um, and we are, if you don't know, you, you heard a very special rendition of our theme song at the start of the show, folks, because we're joined by Mr. Dan Walsh, the best banjo player in the country. Let's have a round of applause for Dan Walsh, everybody. <laughs> ah, yeah. I, I, I must say, it's really sickening to have someone with genuine talent on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the precursor for any white men doing a podcast is... <laughs> No talent is needed, um, <laughs> so really having talent on board is uh, going to skew the graph. Yeah. Um, now we're going to move on to another section, the first section of the show, and we do that. Normally you, uh, in the edit, play a bit of music, and we can't, with no edit on this one, but no, luckily no, he's no. here in person. Dan, can you play us a little, uh, a little ting, ting, ting? 
That was good. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. You can't do it every week, can you? No, just a <laughs> one-off. Okay. Um, so, the What If series on Disney+, Plus. we normally go into the mind of a muggle. We all know what a muggle is. Uh, it's someone who doesn't know anything. Uh, and Will Preston is that muggle. Don't give me that look. Will Preston is that muggle. So, Will, what... <laughs> do you know, when we do this uh, in the safety of my bedroom and I'm just recording, it's fine. But in front of a room full of people, it feels like an intervention. It feels, it feels more like bullying than I anticipated it to feel, yeah. Um, when people are watching me do the bullying, I feel self-conscious. Uh, so, Will... Will, yes. um, obviously all the characters involved in this episode, which is, and I haven't mentioned it because it's bereft of me, is what if, um, you know what, I've forgotten the name of it, what if Earth lost its mightiest heroes? That's the name of the episode, isn't it? It says so right here. <laughs> so all the characters uh, in this episode, you will have known. So we can't ask you, have you ever come across them before? Mm. But did the idea, what, I mean, did what if mean anything to you? Did the idea, or did the idea of like parallel worlds in Marvel mean anything to you before... You saw this. Well, as everybody knows, I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons, so the Treehouse of Horror episodes were always at the forefront of my mind. Do you consider those parallel universes? I c well, they're non-canon, aren't they? Do you consider those parallel universes? <laughs> For the sake of the time we have in this room, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so many different things we have to think about that yeah. we normally... We do four-hour podcasts, guys. There's very little time constraints on us, and that's not the guy at the back is saying, "Not tonight, sunshine." In fact, sometimes <laughs> when you hear me talking quietly towards the end, that means my wife has gone to bed. She's in the next room. <laughs> so yeah, so you, so the, had you ever heard of the multiverse before this series or parallel dimensions in Marvel? Oh, you know what? I've heard them in Mar about Marvel. I've heard of them DC. I've heard them in so many different you know mm. franchises that I expect every I expect Sex and the City to have its own multiverse at this point. <laughs> You know. <laughs> Every span, like a whole world where everyone's Samantha, <laughs> and then another world where, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you know what we can we can actually ask people, right? By way of now, bear in mind we've had trouble with this so far, folks. By way of a of a cheer, can you can you give me a cheer if you've ever read a What If comic book before? Oh. no, <laughs> like yeah. the, the one person, and they didn't seem happy about it. Uh, they were, um, I, uh, it was really upon doing the research for this episode that I kind of mm -hmm. rediscovered my huge love of these What If comics. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in a town, this sounds like this is a weird, this sounds like a weird Bruce Springsteen song. I grew up in a town without a comic shop. Don't start um, playing, Dan, don't start <laughs> playing. <laughs> and you had to really travel out to go and search and find comics. This was the, the war-torn 1980s. Um, you had to go search out and find these comics somewhere. And you didn't have a lot of money, so you might only be able to buy one comic. Um, and sometimes that's like, that's like the middle of an adventure. Like Spider-Man is about to die, and that's the only thing you get to read. You close the comic, and that's it for another month or two. So What If was really cool, because they were like one... Like the whole issue was self-contained. So you got a, a really cool story, beginning, middle, and end, and it would finish in this, in this one issue. So it felt like a, it had a lot more worth when you spent your, your, your money on it, because you were going to get a full, complete adventure. And I have really strong, powerful memories of uh, going to the very seedy comic book shop in Stoke-on-Trent. That's right, <laughs> glamour guy. Um, and, 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 and rifling through the back issues and getting these, these, these very cherished comics of, of what if and having that exact really kind of cool experience of, of, of what if, but getting the full, the full story. Hmm. Um, we're gonna, gonna we're going to prog progress on to the next part. So... Like if you could do another, uh, but not the same as the last one. 
<laughs> that sounded like a mocking ooh. I don't know what it was about that. It was like they went ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm also keeping tally of how much applause he gets compared to us. Yeah, so, me too. Yeah. Ditch him. Ditch him for the next live show. <laughs> um, we, we look at both sides. We are the, the yin and the yang uh, of, of the, the Marvel uh, fan. Um, and uh, Will kind of very much comes from the, kind of the, the TV and the movie side of things. Yes. Um, and I believe you have uh, had chance to look into this What If episode, uh, show on, on Disney+. Plus. Yes, I have. Um, and we don't actually have any kind of... Normally with the movies, we get to look into the, uh, the budgets and the box office. Very exciting stuff, folks, who've never seen the show before. We make um, sense of the dollars and cents. He's very proud of that line yeah. that I came up with. Um, <laughs> Got in so there before what, he did. So what can you tell us then, Will, about the, the production side of this What If? Oh, it's behind me. Of this What If episode. That is such good timing, isn't it? I know, it? right? Uh, yes, strapping people. So, obviously... It was originally inspired by The Twilight Zone. Uh, like, it's an, anth- it's an anthology, said executive producer Brad Winter- uh, Winderbaum. You always do that, because you, you marry a German, and you keep pronouncing your W's as V's. Yeah, uh, lesson in life, never marry a German. <laughs> Ruins your W's. She's going to see this show. <laughs> I, Are you sure? Because we're not editing this out. Because we're not editing anything for this show. It's okay, she never listens to the podcast. Oh, okay. No, I love you, Melina, you know that. <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he continues. Uh, the Watcher. Sorry. The, the Watcher. The Watcher. Oh, God. I'm just making sure they can't edit it out. That's all I'm doing. Join us next time at the Leicester <laughs> Comedy Festival where Will's going through a divorce. Uh, <laughs> the Watcher introduces us each week to these alternate storylines, each a kind of cautionary tale in the spirit of the Twilight Zone. We bounce around genres and tone. Some episodes will be dramatic. Some will be tragic or comedic. So. Mm. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull his card on what that it was inspired. I'm well, okay. We'll get Come to on. it in a minute. We'll get to it in a minute. When I go behind the page, we'll chat about that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll argue. There'll be a punching fight. Sometimes, uh, right? So just to massively interrupt you, sometimes these people making the Marvel movies and TV shows act as if they're based on that. The, there was no, com- uh, it was no comic. It was based on like we're really inspired by by the What Ifs comic book series that ran for thirty odd years. No, by something else entirely. And. Um, Okay, only annoys me. Fine, <laughs> fine, carry on. The crowd are on my side. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Feige said, It is incredibly liberating. It is an amazing opportunity we have. Disney Plus has sent a wave of creativity through Marvel Studios in a really great way. That show, as I said, is going to focus on events you think you know everything about from the MCU. And when you change one thing here or there, how everything is different. So you will see primarily characters you've met before, but again, in entirely different ways. So it's a great way of recycling content. (laughs) Original stories, not needed here, folks. What if Captain America was called Captain Australia? (laughs) Oh, there's a whole series in there. Uh, But even as you say that, my brain goes, that would be... Like Crocodile Dundee, but with a shield. I'm really into that. Like, what would it... I can't wait. (laughs) I just want to see... Okay. You call that a shield? (laughs) 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 Okay, so there there were... How many episodes were there? About eight, weren't there? Uh, Wait, who knows more than us? Yeah, who's... George? Nine. Nine. Good looking out, George. Nine episodes. No, that was German for no. (laughs) That's not George. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are nine episodes. Uh, There were some good ones as well. There some to point out, like, uh, what this one we're covering? What if the world lost its mightiest heroes? What if... Ultron 1, and of course, what if zombies? <laughs> Which sounds like every video game marketing meeting ever. 
What if zombies? Okay, that's another million in the bank. What it, about The Sims, but with <laughs> zombies? That, it, it, it was a huge wave in Marvel Comics. So yeah. there's a writer called Mark Miller who's done some very controversial things. Yeah. Uh, some things that are good, but you know. Uh, Kick-Ass. We've all seen Kick-Ass and yeah. uh, those kind of things. He's behind all that. Uh, and he, yeah, he literally just pitched like, but what if one of the worlds was just full of zombies? Um, <laughs> and it became an absolute, and it was in the wake of The Walking Dead. Yeah. But I don't think the TV show, I think the comic being popular. And it just became this monster. They just keep, they can just keep making a different Marvel story with, yeah, but what if one of them was a zombie? Um, and it's, uh, yeah, so it's an obvious, an obvious choice to be adapted, really, because it's such a, 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 monster, a monster hit on the comic book side. Oh, absolutely. So, of course, uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Chris Evans, uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Tom Holland, and Brie Larson do not reprise their roles for this series, sadly. But, but kind of almost everyone else. Yeah, almost everyone else. It's like there was some fudging with the contracts. I think Downey can just do what he wants, can't he? Or Downey, no, Downey and Evans, their contract might have been over. Mm-hmm. And maybe Scarlett Johansson as well. It could be. Uh, without doing too many spoilers. I, I always uh, remember that my mum is a, a huge fan. Uh, hi, mum. My mum is a huge fan of Marvel uh, movies. Uh, and I remember getting her into Iron Man. Uh, purely off the back of, oh, they play ACDC at the beginning. You'll love this. Uh, and she turned to me and said, oh, that Tony Stark. He's a right git, but he's really good, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but the, interestingly, uh, the role of Betty Ross was played by uh, an actor called Stephanie per- Pernicillo, uh, doing a very good Liv Tyler impression, if everybody remembers. Because we were going back to the Incredible Hulk movie, which yep. is kind of like one of the forgotten Marvel movies, really, because, you know, Ed Norton and everything. Um, and yeah, so Liv Tyler didn't reprise her role. No, 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 not and at we all. Get, we get, but it was, it was a very breathy Liv Tyler. Not quite breathy I'm an elf, but uh, <laughs> you know that. She goes extra breathy in those movies. Um, but the one where she's very breathy, but um, a general's daughter on the run. Yeah, yeah, general's daughter on the run. Also, uh, several scenarios were pitched for the series, but were rejected as they were already ideas which were going to be used in then-upcoming Marvel projects. Such scenarios include Old Man Steve Rogers and Professor Hulk, which would, of course, happen in Avengers Endgame. Jane Foster lifting Mjolnir. And old, the- old Man Steve Rogers. I'm not sure how much of an episode you get out of that. He gets the paper... He goes to see if his kids have left any messages for him, buy some words as originals. Oh, come on. I'd love to see an episode where Captain America goes to the toilet three times in one night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. That's all right. Uh, Jane Foster lifting Mjolnir and becoming Thor, which will, of course, happen in uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. And AC Bradley revealed that a pitch for a Guardians of the Galaxy-focused episode was rejected because it turned out to be half of the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It sounds like there are only like eight concepts left in Marvel. And so when you have two, like three different groups of writers, they all come up with the same ones. <laughs> like, can we do that one? No, Bill's already doing that. Yeah. We're out of ideas then. Retire the Guardians. Yeah. On a last little bit of production note, there are some Easter eggs in this episode. Uh, a couple of ones to note here. Loki wields the casket of Ancient Winders, just as he did in Thor. And Hank's outfit is a nod to Yellow Jacket. The villain in I uh, sorry Ant Man was going to say Iron Man then. <laughs> Don't ever film me. We can't like edit that. it out. We can't edit, we can't it, out. edit it out. We can't. We can't go. Sorry, could you could you stop the podcast for a sec? Don't show them our secret signals for when we have to edit things out. I th- I think they've paid good money to know the secret <laughs> signals. Um, end of production notes. Yeah, end of production notes. Dan, play some music. I feel. 
very wistful now. Like, <laughs> I'm remembering an old dead dog. Um, I feel like I should be painting a garden fence when he plays that. <laughs> let's, let's go behind the page then um, as we yeah. talk about uh, parallel universes, what if, and, and I guess the Marvel multiverse. Mm. Let, let's first try and define what we mean by parallel worlds. Um, it's some kind of weird definitions are quite loose with it and we'd say that you know things like heaven and hell oh those are kind of parallel worlds because they're not like ours um, and those things kind of crop up all the time you know in, in kind of historical texts and fictional religion or whatever you want to call it uh, but I don't really think it's it, when it comes to these comic book stories especially Marvel it, it's not really any other type of world or universe it doesn't mean that. So, like, in, in the comic books in Marvel, so Doctor Strange um, travels to lots of different mystical dimensions. Thor and Asgard is one of the nine realms. Ghost Rider goes to hell and back. But these aren't really considered parallel universes, right? Mm. Those are all kind of, like, dimensions within the regular Marvel universe, which has a number for some reason, which is 616. If you hear me say 616, it's because I'm just using shorthand and I forget that everyone hasn't been reading these since they were four. I, I hope apologize. I was about to say, I hope everybody brought notepads along. There will be a test at the end of this. <laughs> so what we, what we mean then with these, Doctor Strange goes to fight Dormammu in the Dark Dimension. We wouldn't consider that a parallel dimension. Thor goes to Jotunheim. I nailed that one. Uh, <laughs> oh, there were no W's in it. Of course you nailed it. And, and we wouldn't consider that a parallel universe. That's like another part of our world. So in, in, in the Marvel kind of term, when we're talking about parallel universes, you'd go to another universe that would have within it its own kind of like Earth and space, but also its own version of Asgard, its own version of Jotunheim, its own version of heaven and hell and the Dark Dimension. Right, I nearly asked you if that makes sense. I'm not going to ask you if that makes sense. <laughs> it's not because I don't care, it's just for brevity. Um, fiction in itself has, has kind of long borrowed that idea of another mm. world. It's been around for a long, long time. Um, but we, I mean, the ancient Greeks kind of talk about it. Um, specifically, the ancient Greeks, the, um, I wrote this down, atomism, kind of, which is where we get the word for atom. It very specifically in this kind of ancient Greek philosophy does talk about how when atoms collide, each time they collide sparks another pathway and another kind of set of outcomes and circumstances and essentially uh, another universe. So that's a very, very, very old kind of thought and idea. Um, but we do kind of can trace back in science fiction the, the very specific idea that we see in movies and TV shows of a parallel universe. Um, to a short story by Murray Linster called Sideways in, in, in Time um, that was published in 1934 in um, a science fiction magazine called Astounding Stories, which had a, a collection of kind of different short stories about science fiction within it. Uh, Sideways in Time is also my favourite Iron Maiden album. Is that a legit Iron Maiden album? Or are you making a joke? No, I was making a joke for Sorry. literally three people in the cool. audience. No, it's fine. I'm one of those three people, so I got lost. Um, <laughs> So that story kind of features um, a world where a cataclysm happens. It's quite advanced, really, for 1934. A cataclysm, a big event happens on the world, and, like, different parallel universes start to overlap in the world. And this, this like, science teacher goes exploring and finds, like, a world where the Nazis won the Second World War. Always which, that one, isn't it? Well, this was kind of almost the start of that. That oh. and Philip K. Dick, Man in the High Tower. Yep. Um, uh, but that came after this. This is kind of the first example of it. There's another mm. one where uh, the Tsarist Russian Empire conquered America um, and things, things like that. Uh, and, and Sideways in Time is very, very influential in, in, in the science fiction world. Um, Isaac Asimov, who might be 
one of the most famous science fiction authors of all time, mm. um, said that that particular story, it always made me conscious of the ifs in history. And this showed up not only in my science fiction, but in my serious books on history as well. What could have happened, what might have gone wrong, or what might have gone right, which is really the basis for what what if... Ah, oh, it's not behind me anymore. But what the basis <laughs> of what what if kind of is, these branching points and what, mm. what might be if history went left instead of right. Um, and once this idea kind of made it in, was was kind of first born in, in in science fiction, writers never ever left it alone. Um, and we know that Marvel, as we've talked about on this podcast, is very very heavily influenced by um, what's in movies and what's in what's in TV. It, that's not to be demeaning. That's not to kind of say it doesn't have as much worse or that it's copying. That's just generally how popular culture and, and mm. cool fiction works. If if there are cool ideas out there in TV and in movies, you bet Stan Lee is going to rip them off. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we've seen that time and time again. We see a certain character debuts, and then we go, "Well, what the Black Knight? Why is there a sword sword swinging character in in comic books?" And you look at the best movies of the time, and they all feature like Prince Valiant and things like that. Mm. Um, it's just kind of how, especially when you're turning over an awful lot of content um we can take a look in 1963 one of the early examples of like this what might be like a true parallel universe true in the marvel sense we can go back to a classic episode of the twilight zone yep um which has already been mentioned mm. um there's a twilight zone called the episode called the parallel um which is about an astronaut who goes up into space he blacks out on a space mission and when he comes back down to earth like everything about his life is ever so slightly different like suddenly there's a white picket fence around his house and he's like I never had a white picket fence and his wife is don't be stupid that was here when we bought the house and his his daughter doesn't trust him and doesn't think he's a real dad and kind of comes to the conclusion he's in a parallel universe wasn't well, it I think we Steve sorry there will, get, there will be some funny soon it reminds me of what Stephen King said like the most perfect kind of horror story is you're in your house but things aren't quite, quite the same that sounds like him that sounds like him he's very <laughs> creepy uh. <laughs> don't, don't stop apologising to them for information this is the show the show is this bit the laughter is, is not what you've paid for that's a little bonus that's a little tip <laughs> uh, exhaustive Marvel facts is what you paid your five pounds for ladies and gentlemen um there's also a Star Trek episode in 1967 which does this idea uh, and it's Mirror Mirror, it's mm. quite a famous one where Kirk goes to a parallel version of the Enterprise and finds everyone's got a goatee and they're all dead <laughs> horny and evil and those things go together, horny, goatee, evil, they all go together um, and that was a very, you know, that was obviously had taken kind of part of the idea from Twilight Zone and gone a bit further with it, that was very, very influential as well. When talking about Parallel worlds in comic mm. books, we need to have a quick look at DC Comics. Um, there's a, a, a very, very famous and influential story called The Flash of Two Worlds uh, in 1961. Um, to briefly do this, oh, let's condense it, Rob. So DC Comics in the 1930s was creating these superhero characters, The Flash, Green Lantern. But then by the 60s, they were kind of old, pre-war, outdated. So they kind of basically rebooted the characters, created a new version of The Flash, a new version of Green Lantern, completely different people, faces, characters, names, everything, except for the, wait, except for like the, the superhero name, that's say the same. Um, and they never explained why there was a difference. Why was... Was, why was Jay Garrick the Flash 20 years ago and now it's someone else, right? Mm. And so in 1961, um, a writer Gardner Fox and, 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 and artist Carmine Infantano, um, love that name, uh, created a story called Flash of Two Worlds where the modern 1960s Flash 
went to another world and met the old 1930s Flash. And this is like the first time we see this in comic, in superhero comics. This mm. is the birth of DC's multiverse. Because once they had this, this kind of decision, this, this, this almost backdoor to their old characters, DC did this loads. They went, oh, all these characters live on somewhere called Earth 2. All the 1930s, 1940s characters live there, and we've got brand new ones in the 60s, and they regularly crossed over and brought the characters together in this kind of Justice League of Two Worlds, just a Society of Two Worlds. Did they really go with Earth 2? Yeah, Earth 1 and Earth 2, yeah. <laughs> Normally I would, I would ask Will to vocalise his disappointment for the, for, the, for the... But we've got a camera now, so it's cool. I, um, I could finally use my face in the podcast. This is great. Marvel is still a bit of way off creating its, its multiverse, if that ever really truly happened under Stan Lee's watch. 1971, we get the very first kind of Marvel-specific uh, parallel universe. Um, they, Marvel, Roy, writer Roy Thomas creates this Avengers story in 71, where the Avengers are transported to a different Earth and meet another team of superheroes called the Squadron Supreme, who are all rip-offs of the Justice League that Roy Thomas uses to kind of poke fun at them. There's a character called Hyperion, who is essentially Superman. Mm. A power princess is Wonder Woman. Nighthawk is, is Batman. Um, and this is the first kind of example of there being a, a, a parallel dimension. Par not, not parallel dimension, I'm caught up by my own rules. Parallel universe. Good boy. Okay. Don't call me a good boy. That's <laughs> just weird. That's never happened before. It's a weird time to do it in front of an audience. <laughs> Just keep it for the bedroom. Uh, so, <laughs> as long as um, you wear that shirt. Stop it. So, this then kind of led to the creation of of the series What If um, in around 1975. So, Roy Thomas was this this really cool writer and editor who basically replaced Stan Lee. Stan Lee wrote everything in Marvel, and then over time, he kind of like wasn't the writer anymore. And Roy Thomas replaced him on X Men and Avengers, and then replaced him as editor in chief, overseeing. Kind of Marvel for a great long stint, um, and then after a, after a while, he uh, wanted to step down from that and do something a a little bit different and a little bit uh, basically in his own mind easier. It's so interesting what you said in your production notes how um, it was inspired by the Twilight Zone. 100% the comic book mm. was inspired by the Twilight Zone. As apparently, is, can you stop mocking what I'm doing <laughs> as I'm trying to get through a piece and hit a time mark? It would really be helpful. Oh, man. See, normally we let that out. Uh, but this is a little bit of goodness, isn't it, from behind the scenes. Um, I've lost my place. I'm very pleased with how this has gone. Um, so, yeah, so... Um, Roy Thomas wants... Essentially, so in Will's production notes, he talked mm. about how uh, what the, the, the guy, Kevin Feige, is like, was saying, oh, it was so easy to just like go, well, what if this happened? Let's not write a new story. What if this happened? What if that happened? It's 100% what Roy Thomas wanted to do. It was like a really easy choice. He'd spent uh, quite a long time as editor-in-chief having to deal with, oh, I need to make sure this character is alive when he's dead in that comic. I need to do this. I need oh. to do that. So he eventually said, what if I write a book where nothing matters? <laughs> where I don't have to check with any other writer, where I don't have to worry about the consistency. I can just do a story and nothing, nothing matters on it. Very Seinfeld, that, isn't it? In, in, where we, in what way? Come on. It's a show about nothing. Oh, it's a show about nothing, show yeah. About nothing. Well, not that it's about nothing, but just that it doesn't have any consequences. I can kill every member of the Avengers and laugh at the end. And <laughs> they're, all, they're not dead, really. Um, and, and, and yeah, and Roy Thomas is, is talked about being influenced by uh, Earth 2, 
in, in DC, being influenced by Sideways in Time and by Philip K. Dick's Man in the High Castle, which if you haven't read, it's the first major kind of science fiction work where we see a world where the, 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 the Nazis and the Third Reich kind of won the Second World War and then we've been cursed to have that story a billion times a year um, forever until we die. Um, <laughs> And, and this, 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 this kind of concept of what if uh, ran for uh, about 47 issues in, mm. the, in, the, in the 70s. And then it was brought back in the, 90s, in the late 80s into the 90s. That's my jam. That's when I was reading it. And that's when it got very, very dark and cool and everyone dies. It's awesome. Um, and he talks about uh, Uatu the Watcher, mm. who is the big chap, floaty chap, who kind of narrates and introduces every episode of the TV series. And it's the same in the, in the comic books. Uatu... Uh, head back and listen to our Fantastic Four episode, Rise of the Silver Surfer, where we chat about Uatu the Watcher being introduced, this race of aliens that observe different events throughout the cosmos. The Watchers were then expanded in What If to be, oh, we don't just watch what happens in our universe. <laughs> we watch every universe, and there's loads of them. Um, and Roy Thomas um, literally says that I felt a recurring character as the Rod Serling of this particular four-color Twilight Zone would be a good idea. Rod Serling was the guy that narrated the Twilight Zone and introduced each spooky parallel kind of world, world story. On a subject, do you think Uatu the Watcher would be good on Gogglebox? <laughs> <laughs> Just sat there going, oh, he dies in that. That's not good. I know. Yeah, he, never, he never interferes. He can't change the channel. Can't uh, change the channel. He just watches going, this is it's awful. A, it's a real shame. Wish I could do something. And the last kind of thing I will say about... Um, parallel universes is that Stanley didn't really like them um, and I think this might be applicable to how DC approaches its current movies and, and even its comic book line and its TV shows we see with DC that like they're not, they're not concerned that the Joker movie isn't connected to for instance the Justice League movie or that you can have two different Justice League movies or that you can have TV shows that don't connect and interlink and their kind of approach to it is that there's oh there's this big kind of multiverse where everything is different and separate from each other and that doesn't really matter. Well, Stanley had a very kind of dim view of this back in the 70s and the 60s. He, he took a very dim view on, um, on DC Comics introducing a multiverse and introducing different versions of the same characters. Um, and it's not something he ever wanted to do in Marvel except for these one-off stories in What If. These were never to be revisited. Maybe they do a sequel five years later if it sold well, whatever. But these were a what, this was not meant to be each issue of What If creates a different universe that we can return to and do other... These were just meant to be a, like a disposable story. And, and, and Stan's kind of thinking on it was that the more you create different versions of these characters, the less you will care and have a connection, a personal connection, an emotional connection to Spider-Man. If there's a dozen different versions of Spider-Man, and uh, how do you feel a strong enough connection to the real Spider-Man? Um, you know, oh, well, nothing really matters if in these stories because it's just one of a hundred different others. Like, why should I feel a, feel a special connection to Batman and Superman when there's a hundred other Batman and Supermans out mm. there? Um, I, that's to be debated. I uh, agree with Stan, um, personally. Um, not to say you can't have... And I like the idea of having these fun one-offs, but I don't like the idea... In the comic book Spider-Verse, you may have all seen the wonderful movie. In the comic book Spider-Verse, that, that introduces all these different versions of, of Spider-Man and even different versions of Peter Parker, the message throughout, we did an episode on it and I think I brought this up, the message throughout is that no matter where you go in the cosmos, our Peter Parker 
is the Spider-Man. There's a reason. And it's, and it's not necessarily because of powers or strength. It's because of emotional depth and caring and, 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 and thinking of other people and all that. But it, it, it hammers home kind of Stan Lee's point that our, our versions of these characters have to be kind of the real ones in order for us as an audience to have like a big emotional attachment to them and care when they're in peril. Dan, play some music. It's weird, that. <laughs> We're about to uh, head into an intermission now. Uh, before we do, I want to say a big, big shout out to some of our biggest, biggest supporters uh, who kind of make the show very possible on Patreon. Zach Thomas, Mikey W, Sam, and Peter J, who is here in person. Hey, Peter J. Um, these are our big, big, big supporters on Patreon that make shows like this happen, that allow me and Pete to make a, me and Will, sorry, well, me and Pete as well, to make a journey and to come here. And do you want to sit here, Pete? <laughs> 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 so big, big, big shout out to Zach Thomas, to Mikey W, to Sam, and to Peter J um, for all they do on Patreon. Thanks to all our, our subscribers on Patreon um, for, for, uh, for contributing, for contributing and not just consuming. Um, we've laid the table. We're going to head into intermission. And when we come back, we're going to feast on what if the world lost its mightiest heroes. to Dan Walsh best banjo player in the country yes now we've uh, in the first half we laid the table we kind of went into the production details of the Disney What If series and we also went behind the page to look at Marvel parallel universes and what that means and how they all kind of came about and how we owe a bit of a debt to DC Comics as much as we might not like to admit it <laughs> um, it's now time to hand things over to, uh, to Mr. Uh, Will Preston the man powered exclusively by ignorance um, to take us through the third episode of the What If series, which is titled What If the World Lost Its Mightiest Heroes? We're going to press play. On Monday, Nick Fury is driving Black Widow to a donut shop in LA to pick up a hungover Tony Stark to join his new team, the Avengers, as we saw in Iron Man 2. Tony is suffering from the palladium poisoning from his faulty arc reactor. As Nick tries to convince Stark to join him, Natasha injects Tony in the neck with lithium dioxide to help with his poisoning. Another way of convincing the billionaire that the Avengers have what he needs. However, to the surprise of Fury and Black Widow, Stark chokes and collapses on the floor, dead. 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 Gone. But within two minutes, dead. Dead. Don't clap that. Did, did, you, did you approve <laughs> improv from the musician? I'm uh, not sure that was on the form. I, uh, we didn't give him a form. Oh, He's right, strictly cash in hand. <laughs> 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 okay, so while I do love like what-if stories and uh, non-canon stories, like killing a major hero in the first minute, it's a bit much, isn't it? Well, 
Um, Steady on. I now. certainly take your point. However, that is one hundred percent what What If Comics did constantly, <laughs> constantly, and endlessly. <laughs> they are packed with this kind of thing. Um, so many of them start with like a major death um, straight away. Mm. Um, there's one story begins with uh, the Hulk killing Wolverine. One story starts with Rogue draining all the power from Thor and then killing him immediately. That's how this story begins. One starts with all the X-Men being killed. Um, It's just... It's a very bombastic... And it also lets you know no one is safe. This is not like the regular... Uh, 616 universe where you pretty much know Spider-Man's going to be okay he might be dead by the end of this comic um, <laughs> which was always kind of it always as a kid it always put me a little bit on edge mm. I just I don't know why I don't know why there were only stories but it put me a little bit on edge and I, I quite like that there's quite a lot of nods in, in this to the, um, to the to the well, as there would be but there's quite a lot of nods to the original 1970s What If series um, this is the third episode of the Disney Plus series yep third episode and the third issue of What If, the third ever issue of What If, is all about a world without Avengers. Um, and Tony Stark is the first person to die in this episode. And the Iron Man is the very first person to die uh, in, a, in a What If comic. So there's quite, you know, some, some kind of like neat little, little nods. Depressing, but neat little nods. <laughs> oh, good. Shall I continue? Yeah, continue the story. We normally have a hand signal when I'm done talking and he's to continue, but we're not looking at each other now. Um, so I don't know what to do. Shall I make a strange noise? Just, just, just rub my hand. Just rub your hand. Rub my hand. Oh, <laughs> I knew this wasn't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this had been a two-year plot of yours. Yeah. Anyway, Uatu explains that while Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers... Uatu? Uatu. Isn't it Uatu? Uatu? Let's, Uatu? Ha- let's have an audience vote, Do they shall say we? it? Yeah. Uh, give us a cheer if it's Uatu. Oh, burned. Give us a cheer if it's Uatu. That was raising your hand. I'm not taking well, the shot. I'm not sure treatment. I can take your vote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can I repeat it again just so I know for future reference? Sure. Uatu. No, Uatu. Uatu. Okay, Uatu, Uatu, Uatu. Well, you'd Uatu, wouldn't you? <laughs> Don't encourage him. I've been trying to drum this out of him. I'm so glad Dan can go do 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 Anyway, Uatu explains that while Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Avengers, were formed in one universe, something completely different happens in this one. On Tuesday, Thor's hammer lies in the New Mexico desert. Agent Coulson reports this to Nick Fury, who orders a perimeter to be set up around it. The Black Widow is under suspicion of murdering Tony Stark and is being led away in handcuffs. Natasha protests her innocence to Nick Fury, who says he believes her, but his hands are tied by S.H.I.E.L.D. protocol. Fury tells the widow that someone inside S.H.I.E.L.D. poisoned Stark's antidote. Fury slips her a syringe of the antidote and says that he needs her working outside of S.H.I.E.L.D. to find the killer. As Black Widow is being transported away, she slips out of her handcuffs, defeats an entire platoon of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and escapes. That escape scene was pretty fun, wasn't it? Don't That's do that, don't do that. It's not a call and response show. It's, it's, no. they are just, it's a Sunday afternoon. They just want to stare at us for two hours. That's all they want to do. No, I just thought it was further proof they're definitely not on my side. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, was good. It was, it was good. good. It had like a callback to uh, Cap in the lift scene. I think. Yeah. Because oh, well, it's S.H.I.E.L.D. agents beating up S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, which is always seems... For some reason, it feels like a lot of fun. They are quite, they're quite bombastic macho dudes, aren't they, these, some of these S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. You kind of want 
a superhero to punch him in the face, despite the fact they're meant to be good guys. Yeah, but they, they could take a punch so that you like they get beaten true. up, and it's like no worries. That's true. No yeah. worries. It's fine. I'm I'm a big buff man. So in this scene, we see. I'll wait for that to die down. <laughs> in this scene, we see the Black Widow single-handedly fighting off ten uh, men while completely unarmed. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's something she does in the comic books, isn't it? It's, it's something that she could definitely do in the comic books, yeah. I mean, she's, she certainly... Um, she is a lot more adept and stronger in the comic books, uh, Black Widow, than she is in, in the MCU. Mm. Um, she has, like... She is uh, biochemically enhanced... Um, by kind of like the Russian version of the Super Soldier Project, uh, the uh, Russian uh, version of the Super Soldier Serum, which is not as good as Dr. Erksine's proper one that made one and only Captain America. Um, but it does advance her to like like tippy-top. That's not the proper word. How would they say it? Peak. Peak <laughs> physical condition, not tippy. The doctor doesn't say tippy-top condition, does he? Peak physical condition. This Olympic athlete, tippy-top, man. He is in... <laughs> He's, a, he's the tippy-top pole vaulter. Um, peak, kind of peak physical abilities and attributes, um, and, and uh, as well as actually, as well as slowing her aging process. In the comic books, um, Natasha kind of born in the 30s, uh, but mm. looks very, very young, uh, and that's all thanks to the Soviet soldier pro- serum. I don't know what it's called, but it's that version of it. So yeah, she, she would be, uh, it's hard to classify where they would lay because kind of each writer and story takes a bit of poetic license with what a character can do and how strong they are and how good they can fight. But I would say she's probably like, you know that, you know that badass scene in the Daredevil Netflix series where he Ooh. fights all the dudes in the corridor and stuff? She could easily do that because she's like Daredevil's level of skill. Daredevil's like the top, top, top ninja. She's probably that level of skill, but p- p- physically perfect in terms of her, of her physical, physical skills. So yeah. She could do that easily. Short answer, she's very good. <laughs> if you want the podcast to be five minutes long, mate, we could bash them out, but I thought we were doing a show. <laughs> good Lord. I'll continue with the story then. In New Mexico, Clint Barton explains to Nick Fury about the bizarre composite of the hammer and how absolutely no one can seem to lift it. Exactly what happened, as we know, in the first Thor movie. Did you, at that point, I'm a, ma- I'm a bit slow. Did, it, did it, that point, did you kind of figure out that they were doing all the, like, all, all the beginnings of all the movies and they were going back to them? I'm not an idiot, Rob. No, it, it took me, it, I think it took me until then. I think because it starts with Iron Man 2 and not Iron yeah. Man. I didn't quite, I didn't quite pick up what was, what was happening in each branching point I guess I guess but at the same time the name of the episode was a massive clue no I knew it was going to involve every, every one of us heroes but mm. I, I, I okay I'm slow I'm slow everybody I'm slow but that's one point <laughs> to me great <laughs> meanwhile outside the temporary perimeter a shadowy figure effortlessly takes down several guards leading to the alarm sounding as Agent Coulson reports on the breach to fury he spots a figure with really great hair breaking into the building Barton is called in and readies his bow at a mortal Thor who is approaching his hammer. Fury orders him to hold his fire to observe what this statuesque figure does with the artifact. As Thor reaches out for the leather handle of Molnir, Hawkeye accidentally releases his bow and fires an arrow straight through the Thunder God's heart, striking him dead where he stands. Dead. Big death. Big death. Big death. Big second big death? Second big death. Big death. I forgot that that summons him. <laughs> Diminishing returns. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did enjoy that. So, where was I? 
Barton is immediately taken into custody, claiming he didn't do it. Colson and Fury are concerned as to why two Avengers candidates have both been killed under suspicious circumstances in 24 hours. Upon questioning Cliff Barton as to what happened with Thor, he discovers that Hawkeye is dead. Despite dying inside a locked cell with constant surveillance, Fury thinks that Barton was murdered. He theorizes that Iron Man, Thor, and Hawkeye have been murdered by the same unseen killer. Did you have any kind of like thoughts on who this might be at this point? Like I, this is because it becomes it's now like a murder mystery, isn't it? It's a murder mystery, and I am terrible at murder mysteries. <laughs> I'm absolutely. I mean, even when they told them, I'm like, no, that can't be him. <laughs> I'm I'm only good because I do that thing where I I have like three theories running at the same time. So I cover all my bases. It's either the husband or it's the dad or or it's the brother that we think is dead but isn't dead. And then one of them comes through and I'm like, nailed it again. Well, I did. <laughs> I did go to see the mousetrap, Agatha Christie's mousetrap. Don't you spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it, but I will proudly say that at the end of the first half, I correctly guessed who the killer was and I annoyed my wife for the rest of the showing. Uh, anyway, I, there was a line I loved here. Uh, where they, uh, <laughs> they talk about lifting the hammer. And they said, no one can lift, not even Jackson. And he does CrossFit. Yeah, Agent Coulson was like very, very like snarky and, and, uh, and quick-witted in this one. Surprisingly quick-witted. Yeah. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy that aspect. Shall I continue? Mm. Mm. On Wednesday at Culver University, Virginia, Dr. Betty Ross is approached by Black Widow regarding the murder of Tony Stark. Someone is trying to make it look like Romanoff killed Tony Stark, and she needs Dr. Ross to examine the syringe for answers. Upon closer examination, Ross discovers that whatever killed Stark wasn't the antidote in the syringe, but something like a tiny projectile fired off inside the needle. Romanoff suddenly gets a call from Fury, telling her that Barton is dead, with Romanoff holding back her emotions and angrily responding, Who do I kill? Fury explains his theory that the killer is going after Avengers candidates with her and Bruce Banner as the remaining candidates. Fury orders Black Widow to get to safety, but not before she finds Banner. Correctly guessing that Bruce is hiding in a nearby locker, Natasha tells Bruce they need to go now. I will say, it is weird seeing this scene without Ed Norton. Is it? Uh, it's weird seeing Ed Norton not here with Liv Tyler. I, I, this, this reminded me just how much I really enjoyed Incredible Hulk, mm. how I think it's really underrated and overlooked and yep. it's unfair whack, and how much I don't like Mark Ruffalo <laughs> as Bruce Banner. I think he is perfectly fine to play the charming romantic lead in a great rom-com um, that bumps into someone at a coffee shop and always oh, the EQ. I, I, I however... Ed Norton, he was, a, was the man as, as, as Bruce Banner. He was awesome. I think Ed Norton was fine, but I happen to really love the Gruffalo Mark Ruffalo. have a crush Ruffalo. on the Gruffalo. That's the Gruffalo fine. Mark Ruffalo. It's fine to have a crush on Mark Ruffalo. But he's not Bruce Banner. He's not Bruce Banner. So, um, sorry, I'm getting through my notes. So the Avengers pretty much dropping like flies here. What the, what's the highest... What's the highest body count in a what-if story? I want good numbers here. Um, okay, I'll tell you of the one that stuck out to me immediately, and I, yeah. I went back to reread. Um, it's so brutal. Um, <laughs> the, the, so there was an, a, a mega event uh, crossover thing in Marvel called Atlantis Attacks, right? Mm. And it was about an ancient kind of Cthulian god called Set, an old god, 
kind of with, with seven serpent heads trying to be reborn into the physical world and kind of kill everybody and he used Atlantis as his army for some reason I forget exactly why so in 1991 they did a, a what if called what if that went horribly for everybody um, I don't think that was the exact title um, <laughs> and like this was the first time I'd seen a what if where instead of one thing going differently, like three things went wrong for the, all the Marvel heroes. So the, so the, the, the crossover event, the story event just collapsed. Um, and what, so, and <laughs> like, I read this when I was 10, and I think every hero I ever cared about dies. <laughs> a horrible, violent death. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> This is my Saturday. I'm so um, happy to be in your company. So every, every, it starts with every human on Earth, except for a tiny small group, being turned into a snake person, like a snake man that worships the god Set. Um, Jean Grey, Wanda, She-Hulk, Storm, Invisible Woman, these are, have all become evil, hypnotized brides of uh, the snake god. Um, and use their vast powers to just kill. Um, it's really... So, uh, uh, Ben Game of the Fantastic Four gets eaten. Uh, Doctor Strange is burnt to death. Uh, Beast and the Wasp also burnt to death. Eats Hank Pym, the, the Ant-Man, alive. Um, the remaining Avengers then get buried under a sunken city, and they're all killed. Um, Wolverine stabs a snake Magneto in the throat, guts a snake Daredevil open... Um, just really going it's almost like Wolverine's like oh I can stab these people I've never really liked oh cool they're snake people now stabby stab 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 it's almost like he kind of was looking for the excuse to do it um, uh, yeah he great the 80s Grey Hulk Vegas 80s Mr. Joe Fixit Grey Hulk remember him I, re I remember him fondly he breaks, does he get stabbed he breaks Spider-Man's neck it's honestly it's brutal I was 10 when I read this and on and on it goes. And every time you go towards your conclusion or you think, here the heroes are going to rally. No, they die. They all die. Um, one, Scarlet Witch uses her uh, frustratingly vague uh, hex powers to turn the Hulk back into Bruce Banner right as the She-Hulk punches him in the face and that's the end of him. Um, she kills Wolverine in a way that I've never seen before or since. She uses her hex powers to turn his body into antimatter, <laughs> so he just explodes. Um, I know, right? I, I kind of want to ask Dan to play some Radiohead <laughs> while you read this out. <laughs> Don't, because then we'll have to listen to Radiohead. Um, so the giant seven-headed set god then kills like Doctor Doom and Thor and the Silver Surfer, just one after the other. Um, and eventually, he is sucked inside the eye of Agamotto, Doctor Strange's like cool necklace thing uh, and set is sucked inside of that and you go oh all the horrors are finally over you'd be wrong 10 year old rob the horrors are just about to begin um <laughs> because the watcher like the when the story's over the watcher then summarizes the story like it does in this series You're like oh we see there a world where in this one he goes you think it was all over no um the brides of set the hypnotized superheroes storm gene gray uh wanda all these people they survive all of that, but then they give birth to snake babies who immediately eat them. And then the snake babies grow into giant snakes that roam a world of snake people 
who were all kind of hypnotized to worship Set. And we are told that these snake giants just go around feeding on humanity and then discover how to travel to parallel worlds to keep doing it to every world they want to. And the Watcher ends it by saying, they might even be coming to your parallel world where you live. And that's the end of the comic and I was traumatized, which explains a lot about me. Is that a good? Was that, a good, is that how you, what you wanted when you said how many deaths could there be? It's everybody in the world and then everybody in every other world and maybe 10-year-old me. Have you got any pros there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. May I continue? Mm, yeah. Okay. In New Mexico, Agent Coulson drives down the highway while the unseen shadow Uvuatu observes from above. As Coulson is about to enter the base, a magnetic disturbance occurs before he witnesses a rainbow beam come down from the sky, creating a massive energy surge. When the beam stops, Coulson peeks out from behind his car to see an army of Asgardians in formation outside the base. A team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents drive up and face off against the Asgardian phalanx. Nick Fury confidently walks to the front of his men and demands to know what this mystical army is doing here. Loki, now the crown prince of Asgard, re responds, but is interrupted by Nick's phone. Romanoff is trying to get in touch. Also, uh, Nick's fury, uh, his phone, it has the default ringtone, so minus 10 points for Nick there. What an awful isn't thing. That, isn't that what you do? Isn't, isn't having a... Sorry, just to take a minute here. Isn't having, like, yeah, isn't having like a personalised ringtone something that we did in, in the, like 2002? Isn't that gone? The, you know, no, the, I still have a personalised ringtone. What was the frog called? Do you remember the frog? Who remembers the horrors of the frog? The crazy frog. Crazy frog. Ba, 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 ba. Is that what we're meant to do? Not the default ringtone? I have. The Imagine if Nick Fury's phone rang and it was the crazy frog. That would not be intimidating to any Asgardian army. It would be a quite funny joke, though. Okay. Yeah. I, I, have, I have something from Metal Gear Solid on mine. So that makes a lot of sense. It does. Uh, so in the comic books, has Asgard ever invaded Earth? Yes. Oh. But it wasn't Loki who led the invasion. Is this as depressing as that other thing? Nearly. It oh, was God. <laughs> <laughs> what if? It was Thor. And this is not a what if. This actually happened. It's in canon, okay? So back in the 1990s, when Thor was originally... Not back in the... In the 60s, when they first created Thor, Thor had a secret identity. We have an episode all about this. He was essentially like a kind of a, a rubbish Superman ripoff. And then eventually they went, you know what's really good about Thor? The thing... He's a god, and not all the stuff about him being a doctor and trying to have a girlfriend. Let's forget all of that and just concentrate on the Asgard stuff. Um, in the 90s, for some reason, they went, you know what we miss? <laughs> Thor trying to have a love life. Um, <laughs> so they, 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 they kind of created another secret identity for him, a chap called Jake Olsen, um, who was a paramedic, and Thor had this secret identity. He had to keep leaving the Avengers to run off and feed his cat and stuff. Mm. Um, and, but this was kind of explained as being, like, Thor needs to... Uh, re retain his connection to humanity. He is half... In the Marvel comics, his mother is uh, Gaia, who is the kind of Earth goddess, Earth spirit of the Earth. Mm. So he has a strong connection to Midgard as well as to, to Asgard. Yeah. And this was explained as kind of being... He has to, like... If he's just always being a god all the time, like we see in the very first Thor movie, he becomes very arrogant and overbearing, and he needs to have his humanity. Um, so he, he has that normal human, but he got kind of separated from, split into two, and split from his humanity, who was a, just a, became a regular folk walking around, and Thor was all God. And then Odin died, 
and mm. Thor inherited all of Odin's vast power and the throne of Asgard at a time when he was completely separated from his humanity. So he starts to become very militaristic and very arrogant and very um, wants to install the Asgardian gods back to the place where he sees they should be, which is worshipped by everyone on Earth. Um, and so he, he actually forms a church on Earth. He actively goes out of his way to defend and protect his worshippers violently against the rest of the world, um, creates Asgard as a superpower, really on par with like America and Russia and, and all these kind of big problems, and the world governments rise up against him, um, and it doesn't go terribly well. Uh, a, a terrified kind of UN launch an attack on Asgard, um, and it, it reduces it to rubble. Um, and but it, but all because really of Asgardian uh, aggression against world nations. Um, in the kind of uh, in, in the after event of that, Thor goes mad. He loses his arm. He murders Jake Olsen, his his human side. He murders him, and thus becomes unworthy of Mjolnir, but still has the throne. Um, completely invades Earth with the Asgardian armies, mad and king of the gods conquers earth rules for 300 years and then as an old man starts to go that was probably very dodgy and i shouldn't have done that <laughs> this i may have made a, a series of errors for 300 years and so uh, and, and and also in this rule you know he impr he has these awful kind of like almost concentration camps where he locks away dissidents and reporters and rebe rebels anyone that speaks out against asgard is locked up it's it's a real kind of like thor the tyrant um and again you keep expecting in this story to go ah oh, he's mind controlled ah he's a scroll or oh, it's a clone of thor no real thor 100 percent all the time totally thor went mad and then he time travels and stops himself from doing that but it's the same our thor is the same person that did that and remembers doing it so that's thor, ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba. <laughs> thor. Uh, he's secretly evil and just waiting for the chance to conquer the earth for 300 years um so yeah and it would go it would go very badly for us if asgard invaded very badly still i'm looking forward to love and thunder that's going to be nice <laughs> i don't think that's going to happen Okay, good. We don't need more geopolitical stuff in the Marvel films, I think, and UN involvement. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I'll continue the story. At Culver University, Romanoff is safely escorting Banner off the premises while trying to get through to Fury. Just then, General Thunderbolt Ross arrives with a full platoon of troops and tanks ready to take down Banner. Fury returns wid uh, Widow's call, finding out that they're both facing huge forces before telling her to handle it and to get to ground. Loki tells Fury that the Asgardian warriors are here to avenge the death of Thor. This, this, this is the point in the, in, yeah. the, in the episode, if you've seen it, where I think around this time, Uatu kind of lays out for us all that all these events happened in the same week. Like mm. Iron Man 2 uh, with like War Machine and who's the bad guy in, in that? Uh, Sam Rockwell. Um, Sam Rockwell. I, so Iron Man 2, Incredible Hulk and um, Thor all happen in the same week, according mm. to Yuatu in this yeah. movie. I find that really, like, I, I had never considered that before. And that's really kind of, um, I find that really fascinating because it means that there's this, like, one super incredible week in the history of the MCU where all these 
tumultuous and world-changing events happened like in a series of days, one after the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the hammer lands and Thor goes after it, but he's mortal. Um, Tony Stark nearly dies from that poisoning. And um, Hulk is Hulk. <laughs> yeah. And on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, they're chilled on Sunday. Oh, I knew. Why didn't I see that coming? Waited Why so long to say that. protect you all. <laughs> From that joke. I'm sorry. Sorry. Anyway, back at Oliver, a sniper shoots Banner in the shoulder, but the shot fired did not come from any of Jennifer Ross's, sorry, General Ross's troops. Wounded Jennifer Ross. Jennifer, who is Jennifer uh, Ross? It sounds like a 90s singer. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Ross. That's just, maybe not. Maybe not. The crowd disagrees. Uh, wounded and full of surging adrenaline and rage, Bruce Banner begins transforming into the Hulk. As talks between Fury and Loki break down, the god of mischief brings out the casket of ancient winters, saying their earth will be taken as retribution. As Hulk smashes his way through soldiers and tanks, Loki uses the casket to launch a freezing blast at the shield troops. As Betty begs General Ross to stop trying to kill the Hulk, Romanov spots that she's in danger, tackles her, and takes her to safety. Just then, everybody watches in confusion and horror as Holt stops and begins to swell up to huge proportions before exploding. Betty weeps for Bruce's death, confused and heartbroken, because she thought that the Hulk can't die. I thought the exploding Hulk was a bit much. <laughs> what do you mean by a bit much? Okay, a personal preference in... Uh, some, some deaths always A irk. personal preference in death? In death... <laughs> Will, if you're like gonna to die, not, he doesn't want to explode, everyone. So, if you just all take that into consideration, if you're gonna murder Will Preston, don't make him explode. I just prefer do the decent thing. Do the decent. Have a heart attack in a coffee Wash him shop. In front of a bus. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Personal death. I, I, like this, I just hate seeing people puff up like a balloon and explode in a cartoony way. Something always irks me about it. It's, how, it's of, how often do you see it? <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how much time do you have? <laughs> Let's do another podcast. All the times Will was traumatized by. Puffy up exploding people. Explosion versus explosion. Um, so seeing the Hulk die, we could all agree, seems impossible. Has anything happened like this in the comics? Give us a share if you think the Hulk <laughs> can't, can't die. Oh, okay. Wow. I mean, it's either, it's either they all agree with that or they're all just, I'm not going to cheer. Uh, <laughs> well, let's talk about all the times the Hulk has died. Because uh, it happens a lot. I think Hulk has died probably more than any of the other major superheroes in the Marvel Universe. Maybe more than... The villains The villains are often presumed dead, but we see the main characters when they die. The Hulk dies more than anybody else I'm in Marvel. I'm fairly, fairly certain. Um, and some of the times it's just Bruce Banner who dies. And then what happens is someone goes, the only way to save Bruce Banner is to give him even more gamma radiation. That'll help him. Uh, and then he comes back as the Hulk, and he's often like, I just wanted to be dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why must you curse me with this monstrous life? Uh, well, we felt sorry for you, Bruce. Um, in the, okay, so in the 80s, um, Grey Hulk and Wolverine reignited their kind of contestuous hatred for each other and had a knockdown, drag-out fight um, where neither was pulling any punches. And Wolverine fully unleashes, kind of fully goes berserker mode on, on Grey Hulk. And completely like eviscerates his, his, his insides and it, it like stabs and slashes and completely tears him apart. Oof. And, and we, we, we learn from kind of our, the, the internal monologue that Wolverine has that using his heightened senses, Wolverine knows from the way 
he hears and smells and looks. And looks is not a heightened sense, but you know, uh, <laughs> he, he basically goes, right, he's dead. That, I've gutted this animal and that's a carcass and it's dead. And he starts to walk off. A fully, completely dead Hulk. Then just starts to slowly get back up, puts his guts back inside him and is like, let's try round two. Um, that is a 100% canon death of, of, of the Hulk. Um, he was once poisoned uh, and went weaker and weaker and got more and more emaciated and skinnier and was very a gaunt grey hulk it was very strange to see mm. um, and he died of complete organ failure um, which was a very uh, unbombastic un that's not a word it's better than exploding do you think I'd rather explode I'd rather get <laughs> I'd rather get really big and pop like a balloon and I'm to be fair I'm on my way uh, <laughs> um, I was going to go shut up don't say it don't say it <laughs> Uh, one time the Hulk went into the future and was murdered by a future version of himself. Um, the future version, the tyrant Hulk called the Maestro, uh, snapped young Hulk's neck. Um, we've got a bonus episode all about that. It was a lot of fun. Um, on Patreon. On Patreon, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> we just went into sales mode. We're not supposed to do that in this show. Um, <laughs> more, more recently, um, Bruce Banner had all the gamma drained from his body and was permanently cured. That was the line in Marvel Comics. He is complete. We, we had a new Hulk, a young Hulk, Amadeus Cho, really fantastic character that became the, uh, the awesome Hulk instead of the Incredible Hulk. Really great character. So we had a new Hulk, like a teenage cool Hulk, and we didn't need Bruce Banner as a Hulk anymore. And the line was, he's permanently cured as Bruce Banner. Um, but then uh, the Avengers and the superhero community found out that Bruce Banner had been experimenting with Gamma again. And Ooh. they went... This sounds like a terrible idea, Bruce. And they all went en masse to confront him. Um, which, I don't know if that's a good idea when a guy can, who gets agitated turns into a killing machine. Um, <laughs> and it was all very much all weapons trained on Bruce Banner because uh, you've been experimenting with Gamma. Are you going to become the Hulk again? And as he starts to look like he's getting very agitated, Hawkeye shoots him in the back of the head. Two arrows, base of the skull, Bruce Banner dead and gone. And we then see like a flashback to Clint and Bruce Banner in a bar several like months ago in which Bruce Banner hands Clint Barton these special arrows and says, if, I, if it ever looks like I'm going to become the Hulk again, kill me. I do not want that to ever happen. Here's a special arrow <laughs> that can kill me. <laughs> I was like, that to the base of the skull, that will make sure I'm completely and immediately dead. Um, however... He came back. Um, and this was all addressed in a very, very cool recent series called Immortal Hulk. A writer called Al Ewing decided that if you actually look at how many times uh, Hulk has died and come back, he's more than anybody else. So he wrote that into the story and, and kind of created this... this tried to look at why the Hulk keeps coming back. Is he immortal? Is there a mystical kind of... Uh, a mystical flavor to the Hulk, a mystical kind of element to the Gamma. Um, and it's a really, really, really cool series. Um, and in that we discover the Hulk can't die, neither can Bruce Banner. But they do die several deaths, but they keep coming back. You know what immortal means. Yeah. That was a lot to take in. It was, yeah. <laughs> but I distilled it for you all. You did? I had to take it in over 30 years. You've only had to listen to it for a couple of minutes. So I hey. hope it didn't feel like 30 years. That's all I will say. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. 
In New Mexico, Fury reasons with Loki to stop his attacks and work together to find Thor's real killer. While Loki has absolutely no interest in working with Earth, he gives Fury 24 hours to find Thor's real killer or he'll turn the planet to ash and ice. I think Loki here is being the extreme version of a police chief in every cop drama. You got 24 hours to solve the case, or I'll turn the entire planet to ash and ice. Yeah. That evening in the Manassas Public Library in Virginia, Natasha is working with Colson to get... You do know you could just, when you write these notes, you you could just put library. You don't have to do the complicated place name of the library. No one in here is going to go, yeah, but where was the library, Will? (laughs) We don't believe... Manassas Public Library, that's not in Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll continue. Natasha is working with Colson to get access into S.H.I.E.L.D.'s database. The widow finds a lead and wonders how a woman who has been dead for years managed to access the S.H.I.E.L.D. database. Natasha detects someone creeping up behind her and goes to fight, but is beaten to death by an unseen enemy, smashing her across the library while she tries to call Nick Fury. Her last words are left on Fury's voicemail. It's all about hope. Back in New Mexico, Coulson informs a mourning Fury that he is the last Avenger left. Fury dismisses this and goes to his car to find a beeper from the 1990s, which he calls out, Our Last Hope. Fury then drives up to Loki's ice fortress created in the desert and asks to see the Prince of Asgard. So, we're seeing a world completely without the Avengers. Is that something they created for the TV show, or did this actually happen in the comics, Rob? <clears throat> yeah, it's happened, happened a couple of times. The, the, <laughs> couple the, 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 third, the third issue of What If is called uh, What If the Avengers Had Never Been. And it sort of is not, it plays fast and loose with that. Mm. Back in the 60s, the Avengers first came together when Loki tried to trick Hulk into fighting Thor. And that kind of created all these heroes to kind of to come together and, and interact. And, and, and uh, Loki falls through a trapdoor. It's very weird. <laughs> We've got a Hulk. Do you remember that one? Yeah, Ant Man makes a bunch of ants pull a lever, and Loki falls through a trapdoor into a conveniently placed lead prison. Uh, we've got a whole episode on that in, a, in our Avengers show. Um, yeah, in, in the regular Marvel universe, the Hulk is part of the Avengers, but leaves uh, almost immediately um, and goes off to actually become like an antagonist and team up with this dude called Namor the Submariner and, and, and become a villain and fight the Avengers. Um, so this story, what, what if the Avengers had never been, basically says when the, when the Hulk left the team, all the other Avengers went, yeah, I can't be bothered either. Uh, <laughs> like Thor just flies back to Asgard Ant-Man and the Wasp go I don't think we like being superheroes we're just going to retire immediately and go be normal people um, and you know, Captain America's still in the ice because um, the, in, the, in the Marvel comics it's the Avengers that discover Captain America and thaw him out so if they're not around he's just floating around like a ice cube um, like a flag flavoured ice cube um, mm, in the bottom flag. of the Arctic so that goes on and it goes terribly because now Hulk and, and, and is out there being a, a, a real problem. And so Iron Man is like the only hero left around and he tries to fight the Hulk on his own. It goes very badly. So he builds Iron Man armor for everyone that he knows. <laughs> so he gets like Ant-Man and the Wasp and he gives them Iron Man armor. And then uh, the Hulk at the time had a, a teen sidekick called Rick Jones. He was a, a swinging hip <laughs> 1960s teen. He, went, he drove popsicles and went to the soda hop. 
and other words I don't know. <laughs> and and uh, Tony Stark went, you know what would be a good idea? Putting a teenager in an essentially a jet fighter. So he builds, <laughs> he builds Iron Man armor for, for Rick Jones. And he says, let's all go and beat up the Hulk. Um, and it doesn't go well. Uh, and Iron Man dies in the third issue. Um, in, in, his, in his Avengers he dies and the other Iron Man Avengers don't do terribly well um, but uh, yeah so that's the first time and then in 1994 there's a story um, which looks at a world where yeah the Avengers didn't happen so it's called What If Captain America Were Revived Today today mm. being 1994 um, so for some of us today is 1994 <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of podcasts trade on wasn't yeah. it better when we were young um <laughs> So, yeah, Captain America is revived uh, Rescue from the Ice in, in 1994 and finds out, we find out, that in this world with no Captain America and no Avengers, there was no cap to rally heroes against the Red Skull when the Red Skull came back and started attacking America. And so he learns that the Red Skull, like, the Red Skull and his forces swept across America. They conquered the country, created and established the new Nazi Third, Fourth Reich Empire. Um, and like put lots of people to death imprisoned all the superpowered people and then just immediately launched a new, full nuclear strike on russia wiped out russia um and he's 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 rescued by a mysterious dude who says and i'm the only one left i am the greatest freedom fighter left in the world and it's dr doom um mm. and uh he is telling a fib um so yeah he, he then has to try and um work out who he can trust in this world because Doctor Doom claims to be uh, a, a rebellious freedom fighter fighting against the Nazis when it turns out he's actually kind of working with them and ruling the eastern part of the whole country of the whole world in fact um, and Captain America then uh, meets the only real freedom fighters left who uh, have all escaped from like Nazi concentration camps it's very dark they're called Oof. the expatriates um, <laughs> this was a period of time in the 90s when everything had to be X-Men related to sell everything had to be X-Men related so you couldn't just be patriots you had to be expatriates and it was uh, Wolverine and Spider-Man uh, Human Torch and, and Jean Grey and stuff and so yeah but without the Avengers and that story the Nazis conquered the whole world I'll continue <laughs> should, should I have included light le fun ones because there aren't any it's what if everyone dies all the time it's a constant parade of death sorry i forgot we were gonna have an audience and also kids <laughs> <laughs> ask your parents. every now and then i describe wolverine slashing someone open and they go oh man this is not it's not how i thought my sunday was gonna go <laughs> anyway in the early hours of Thursday morning, in a graveyard in San Francisco, Nick Fury stands over the grave of Hope Van Dyne, former agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Just then, he's approached by Hank Pym in full yellow jacket costume. Hank angrily rants at Fury that his daughter, Hope, died because S.H.I.E.L.D. killed her. Pym blames Fury for filling his daughter's head with ideas about saving the world, leading Hope to ideas. die. Ideas. Don't fill people's head with ideas. There's no, children in the room. Yeah, no, I, I was... It doesn't matter. Carry on. I was <laughs> riffing off it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now I've lost my place. Okay. Uh, because yeah. she'll, Pim blames Fury for filling his he daughter's head with ideas about saving the world, leading Hope to die the same way as her mother did. Hank reveals how it was him who was responsible for the deaths of all the Avengers candidates using his shrinking abilities. 
Hank hid inside the syringe injected into Stark. He attacked Clint's hand, forcing him to fire his bow and killing the mortal Thor. Hank then killed Clint inside his secure cell by shrinking down and attacking his brain. And yesterday, Hank used an enlarger disc to inflate Hulk's heart. And he also killed Romanoff in hand-to-hand combat using the superhuman strength and speed that Ant-Man possesses. I, for some reason, found it funny to watch Ant-Man punch a brain like this. Yeah, 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 Punch your brain. Now you don't know maths. <laughs> is that what happened to me? Just as a tiny man punching my brain every time I try and do a math. The only tiny man punching your brain is you, Rob. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> I wish it wasn't, but it is. So that was surprisingly <laughs> depressing. Sorry about that. Uh, quick question. Has Ant-Man ever, you, ever, be, have, has he ever been lethal in the comics? N- not um, not like our 616 regular Marvel Universe Ant-Man, no. Okay. Um, in, in, in the early 2000s, Marvel did like a, a gritty reboot <laughs> of all their characters called The Ultimates. Um, and that Hank Pym is, is quite... It's, it's, the whole thing is meant to be more adults. The Ultimates are all quite violent anyway. But that Hank Pym is quite unhinged. Um, and yes, he tries to kill the Wasp by spraying her with bug spray when she's shrunk down, like toxic bug spray to kill her. Um, and he once turned into Giant Man and bit someone else's head off. Um, very horrible to read. Mm. Um, but this shrinking, uh, using shrinking powers to murder people and get away with it, reminds me of a, of a comic book story and a superhero story, but not a Marvel story. There was very famous and kind of influen- influential, but really kind of popular famous story um, from DC Comics called Identity Crisis in the 2000s and in this story the family and loved ones of the justice league are being targeted and and kind of attacked and and killed in their home so like you know superman's wife and you know elongated man's sister and things like that i forgot that there's a a guy called elongated elongated man man, yeah because plastic (laughs) man was already taken and uh, so the elongated man um it's perfectly normal when you read going um so batman leads his investigation into these crimes using like like not just even Batman kind of skills, but Kryptonian technology, apocalyptic and kind of new gods tech as well. Uh, he, he's investi- he's interrogating uh, suspects with psychics to do the investigating for him. Like really top line super crime skills. Um, and the intense moment at the end kind of reveals that the there's an there's an autopsy reveals microscopic footprints on the brain of one of the victims and so essentially the killer is someone w- that we know is shrinking powers who shrunk themselves down mm. gone into the brain and just jumped all over them till they have a, a, a hemorrhage the irish danced him to they, death they they jigged they jigged him to death yeah uh, but yeah yeah i don't think we've ever done one of these before where i've gone yeah, not in Marvel, but in DC. But it's so, it was so, it struck me so much how kind of similar it was to have a murder mystery and a tiny shrunken uh, killer that I thought it needed mentioning because I'm not saying they ripped it off, but it's pretty similar. Facts. Uh, cool. I'll continue with the story. After this revelation, the two fight with Fury proving to be a surprisingly tough opponent. Pym is unable to land a blow on Fury thanks to a series of illusions and duplicates. Pym tries to fly away, but is stopped by a shard of ice. As he plummets back down to Earth, defeated, the Fury illusions start to laugh in unison and turn into Loki, who was behind the deception all along. 
Fury tells Pym that Hope understood that S.H.I.E.L.D. is people willing to give their lives to something greater than themselves and to save the world from people like him. As Pym is led away, yelling, Honor her! Fury tells Loki to take his hammer and get off his planet. But Loki has other plans. So, Rob, is there a what-if story where Loki is the leader of Asgard? There is, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> um, there's a story called What If the X-Men Never Left Asgard, which sounds crazy. Uh, but the, you have to know there was another story where the X-Men went to Asgard. Um, and in this story, they, um, they all stayed and uh, had lots of different... It was kind of fun because they, they all basically integrated themselves with the Asgardian characters from Thor that we know. Like um, Fandral the Dashing from The Warriors 3 like married Rogue and settled down. Uh, and Nightcrawler replaced him in The Warriors 3. That was kind of, kind of cool. fun little interactions in different, in different um, spins. And of course, Frog Thor is there as well. We all know about Frog Thor, don't we? Yeah. So uh, we don't have time in this episode, but we'll do th Frog Thor one day. Okay. So okay, cool. um, Loki had a... That, the reason the X-Men were in, in Asgard because he had a big plan. Mm. Um, and he was working for these people called the ones that sit above in shadow. That's their full name, the ones that sit above in shadow. They're meant to be beings above even gods themselves that actually rule over or adjudicate things between gods and, and, and all of reality. Um, and although Loki's plan, he was working for them, failed, and his reward was to rule Asgard, he, said, he, he spoke to them and said, look, I didn't, didn't go to plan, but Asgard's still fine, and I kind of accidentally brought peace to Asgard, didn't I? Can I still rule Asgard? And they went, yeah, no, absolutely cool, not a problem, Loki. We'll make that happen for you. Snap their fingers. And Loki does rule over Asgard, but they have sent him into the far-flung future Ooh, um, to twist. an empty, ruinous carcass of Asgard. There is no other living creature left in the entire universe except for Loki ruling over rubble and ash and nothing as Asgard hurtles ever so slowly towards a black hole and the heat death of everything. And Huatu um, is greatly amused by this. <laughs> he says, as Asgard lay as a charred ruin, careening in inex inexorably towards a black hole, Loki, the god of mischief, the lord of lies, went slowly mad from the jest and he's just crying and laughing and that's how the story ends. <laughs> Bloody hell. Anyway, you need to react with a more upbeat... If you, if you react like, ha ha, sounds great, then it'll come across a little easier than me just really hammering them with darkness, which seems to be what I'm doing today. Could, could, could you tell me off after the show? <laughs> no, I've only, just, I've only just realized that's what we need to do. I didn't know what the show was going to be until we were about five minutes ago when I went, oh yeah, this is dark. <laughs> <laughs> but we're glad you're here. Anyway, we're at the last bit of the story now. On Friday, Loki walks into the United Nations building in New York City alongside a large Asgardian personal guard to announce that in just 24 hours, the nations of Earth have put aside their differences and have united under his command. We see an entire world being controlled by Asgardian armies and warships. Meanwhile, at a secret hangar, Coulson and Fury look at the coffins of all the Avengers candidates in dismay. But Nick Fury believes that in our darkest hour, we will find our heroes. He travels to the frozen wreckage of a Hydra bomber and finds the frozen shield 
of Captain America before being greeted by Captain Marvel. So, we've pretty much hammered it home. It's a pretty dark ending. <laughs> but what... So, do the what-if comic books always have dark endings like this? Because it's... From, from the whole <laughs> time we've been here, it's been depression after depression. The most famous ones do... I mean, the what-if comics go 50-50, uh, one or two ways. Mm. There's a running joke with, with, with kind of comic book readers about what-if, is that it's either stories where everything... Everything goes wrong, but it ends up being exactly the same anyway. So, like, what if the event, like we saw here, what if the Earth never had Avengers? Well, at the end of the story, we get some Avengers. Yeah, we Like, get Nick some. Fury puts the Avengers together. So, we have an adventure that is kind of completely different and all goes a little bit wrong, but we actually get back to the same point as what we wanted to, yeah. which is everything happens the same. We get Avengers again. Or everyone dies. <laughs> Those are the only two types of what if stories. This kind of had both. Everyone dies, but then we get Avengers again. Um, so would you say it's the truest what-if story? It's pretty, it's pretty darn true. Um, the, the, the darkest... the darkest. There's one where um, in, in the Fantastic Four story, the Fantastic Four fail to save the Earth from Galactus, and he actually consumes the Earth, mm. and only the Fantastic Oof. Four. So everyone, that's, well, that's the story where everyone on Earth dies. And the Fantastic Four then kind of like become Charles Bronson and go out for payback. And they're like, we're going to travel the universe and kill Galactus. Um, and, but at least everyone in that universe is still alive. To, really, <laughs> to go even darker, there is a story uh, where what if the Phoenix had not died? Um, where we've done uh, 10 hours on the Phoenix, four episodes, yep. four big fat meaty episodes on the Phoenix. Uh, using the, the classic 90s uh, cartoon series. Um, we know her power levels are pretty advanced. Oh, um, she, she's, she's a mighty lady. She is. She's a mighty lady. In this story, uh, uh, the phoenix doesn't die, and she carries on trying to be Jean Grey and trying to have a love life and, and be a person. But every now and then, she has to pop into space and consume a star and kill millions and billions of people, but in other galaxies. Um, and when one of the X-Men finds, like, calls her out on that and is like, are you still eating suns and killing people? And she's like, ah, yes. <laughs> and she goes, it's okay, they don't count. And she goes mad and she lashes out and she kills Cyclops. And when she kills Cyclops, her brain snaps and she... <laughs> she expands, like her hunger expands and consumes the entire universe. So that's a what if where there's nothing left alive at the end of it. Um, so this, on, 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 on average, really, was quite a light-hearted what if episode. <laughs> I, I always thought that Marvel was supposed to be the lighter one compared to DC. But these, are, but these aren't, as, as Stan Lee says, you can do it in these because it's not real. It doesn't count. I know. You just, boop, boop, everyone's dead. Wasn't that a lark? <laughs> uh, can you play us some jangly music? Make it upbeat. Pick their spirits up. There we go. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Will, your, uh, your final thoughts on, on, on what if Earth lost its mightiest heroes? Well, I, I enjoyed the... Yeah, I'm sure we all enjoyed the entire series. I, I, I know I did, but I remember first watching this series and going, this is fun, but this, this is basically 
what if they changed that one character and essentially the film played out the same way? Yeah. Although I did like seeing Captain Carter. That there were some good moments yeah. in that. But this, this one actually felt like a great uh, retelling. It was just really compelling. I didn't know where it was going to go because it broke free of the story that I knew about the, uh, about the Avengers. And I love that they turned the entire Phase 1 films into an Agatha Christie story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, I'd love to see Poirot in the MCU. I love it. David <laughs> Suchet. Oh, well, Miss, Miss Marple comes in and says, I'm putting a team together. <laughs> I stole that joke of another comedian. Uh, the, I like the, the ending, though. This is the thing. So much happens in it, but the ending seems to branch off into a world that I am interested in exploring. I want to see what an Earth dictatorship would look like under Loki. I want to explore that world. And like, who else would be in this Avengers team? Exactly. So you've got Captain America and you've got uh, Captain Marvel. And Stiltman. <laughs> Stiltman. <laughs> well, you, you could have, like, we haven't, uh, War Machine. Maybe yeah. War Machine yeah. doesn't get the armor. Maybe he finds, you know, there are some offshoots you could kind of do. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be, and maybe that's, hey, maybe you revisit it in the second season. Could do. One last thing. I don't know what they did with Ant-Man in the meantime. In the meantime? They just dragged off Michael Douglas screaming. Which, oh, they, they, just, they just carted him off somewhere. It's like, oh, we're going to lock him in small to, prison. I imagine he went to prison. Went to prison, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have done with him? Put him in a tiny box. A tiny box. Tiny little box. He does in, in the... Uh, I think he's in the comic books as well, mm. and in the comic series, uh, Hank Pym solved. It's very horrible. He, <laughs> what he, hasn't been horrible in this episode? He solved like the the prison crisis in America by uh, <laughs> shrinking prisoners down so they're tiny. So you can you can make really small prisons that you just have on your desk, and that can house like hundreds and thousands of prisoners, but they're tiny little people. Executive stress toy for psychos. <laughs> <laughs> so, what then? Will uh, thank you for your thoughts on mm -hmm. on, on that episode. Um, do we uh, do we enjoy this particular episode of of what if folks by kind of ravers of a cheer? Yeah. It was generally well received by people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what do we do next? Oh yeah, a favourite piece of, of of Marvel trivia that you have learnt in this episode today. Oh, so much to choose from about death. Uh, but snake people. Yeah, I was going to say, go big or go home has to be the snake <laughs> the people. Snake, well, the whole snake people thing. I, 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 I call me Mr. Snake Person. <laughs> I'm down with the snake people. The only people that survive with then eaten by their own children. <laughs> I mean, come on. I was 10. Um, we, we, we normally do like a, a reading list at the end of the episode, and I can say, oh, I'll go out and get this and get that. Um, that Marvel aren't great. Well, the first thing I shall say to everybody uh, is please, 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 please don't buy your comic books from Amazon.com uh, or .co.uk. Um, they're not terribly great for the comic book industry. Um, there are uh, comic books, brick and mortar stores you can go to, you Google to find. In a lot of places, there are some great online shops that you can visit as well, where you can order your comics, get delivered to your house, pay by PayPal, all the cool things that you get from Amazon. Maybe you wait a couple of days longer, but it's healthier for the comic book industry as a whole. Um, my, my thing hole falls down at the end where you go, and Marvel need the money? No. Um, <laughs> but the comic book shops do. It's not the fault of comic book shops that kind of Disney are, are, are endless. Um, so there are a couple of what-if collections out there. Uh, they all seem to be, for some reason, they all seem to be the 1970s series, mm. which is a little less sophisticated and for me doesn't have the really rad cool stories. Um, I think your best bet is probably 
going to a comic book shop and, and, and kind of flicking through back issues or going to eBay and the second hand market is really good for that kind of stuff there are some really 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 cool um, issues out there things like what if the Punisher's family hadn't been killed what if uh, Hawkeye killed Wolverine what if the Kingpin um, owned Daredevil uh, what if well not that Atlantis Attack ones that's really grim what if the Silver Surfer possessed the Infinity Gauntlet what if Spider-Man's Uncle Ben had lived um, what if uh, what if Craven the Hunt oh no that one's very grim <laughs> someone eats Spider-Man's face it's really oh no you not don't, Peter you don't see it but it definitely happened um, what if uh, Captain Marvel hadn't died uh, so there's, there's just tons I mean and it's really great and you can often find on eBay like a, a like a collect, like someone's do 10 issues for like a tenner and you can just take a chance and not know what they are but what if it's great for taking a chance on because you have this wonderful thing of just like getting a, a complete story and, and whether you loved it or hated it you don't have to like read a, a tie-in or a spin-off or the next mm. issue or anything like that um, so that's really uh, that's really my, my reading list are my recommendations. We want to say a huge thank you to uh, all of you for coming down in person today and seeing this show. Big, big, big round of applause, guys, for all of you. Yeah, clap for each other and yourselves. Thanks for making this such a, a special, uh, a special event. It's been awesome to be here as part of the uh, the comedy, the Leicester Comedy Festival. Awesome to be here at the Attenborough Arts Centre in a really great venue. Will, thank you very much. What a, uh, what a great work from yourself, sir. Uh, and a uh, big and thanks to Mr. Dan Walsh, who's going to... Any final th words, Phil? Uh, no, who are you? <laughs> William. That's the one. <sighs> Phil's the guy who wouldn't do the podcast with me. So what, what would you want to say? <laughs> You're probably better off with Phil. <laughs> <laughs> would you be able to, in your indemnable fashion, uh, Mr. Dan, uh, play us out with the best theme song in podcast history? I thought he wasn't going to play it then. It was a weird... Pause. Do we just sit here with this? Yeah. We just sit here, yeah. Normally we've turned the laptop off. We go make a cup of tea. Marble, marble, marble versus marble. Hey! Thanks for listening to this very special presentation of Marvel vs. Marvel, the live podcast. To support us, please head over to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. It's where you can access the video of this show, plus 30 plus bonus shows, bonus episodes. We drop two bonus shows each and every month, and it's only through support that we get to put together cool projects like this live show. So head to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel.